back. We're ranking players again. We're doing small forwards. We're trying to get our small forwards list built out to 50. We had finished at 27. Aaron, do you have the list? I do. Would you like me to read it? Yes, please. So for our small forwards to start, we have LeBron, Larry Bird, Dr. J, Kevin Durant, Elgin Baylor, John Havlicek, Scotty Pippen, Rick Barry, Kawhi Leonard, Dominique Wilkins came in number 10, and Paul Pierce, Paul Arizon, Alex English, Paul George, Carmelo, Billy Cunningham, Grant Hill, Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, Bernard King at 20, Marcus Johnson, James Worthy, Roger Brown, Connie Hawkins, Adrian Danley, Chris Mullen, and Cliff Hagen to round that out. Nice. So I told you that I had a, a spicy nomination to kick off number 28, and so I'm gonna I'm just, just going to throw it out there. Jim Pollard. Okay. I like that. I had him two spots back, but originally I had him in this 28 spot, and I just decided, given that he was playing in the 40s and early 50s, that we would knock him back a bit. But in terms of accomplishments, in terms of how good the player was at the time, Jim Pollard should be 28. He is a four-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA and BAA, and won five titles with Lakers. He's Mikan's he's Mikan's guy. He's the the Pippin to to Mikan's Jordan in a way. In 49-50-ish, the Lakers play the Harlem Globetrotters in attempts to kind of cement basketball supremacy. They were the best team in the league. The Globetrotters were the best barnstorming team. And they play once without Jim Pollard and lose. And then they play with Jim Pollard and just wax the the Globetrotters. I mean, Mikan is great. But there are those who would say that Jim Pollard was better. The New York Times, for instance, one of the things I'd like to do is I go back to it and reread uh, their box scores, their write-ups, anything from the time, because they had the Knicks. And so they actually had a fair amount of coverage um, for the, the old NBA. And they declare that, you know, Mikan is the greatest, but Pollard might be the most all-around complete, complete player in the game. Uh, he was known for some corner jump shots, which in his day were worth two, and our day would have been worth three. Uh, an insane leaping ability on even a really great dunker. Um, his teammate Martin Slater would say that he could dunk from the free throw line, which, you know, you're getting people in the 50s talking about a guy jumping from the free throw line. I think he is a transcendent revolutionary player, the kangaroo kid. Sure, era is a is a problem, but I think that's why he's back here. Uh, fighting for a top 200 position as opposed to a top 50 position. I think that's a, that's well-scaled. We had Mikan as the, I believe, the 19th best player of all time versus someone that was just far and away the most dominant player of this era. And the number two is, who knows, Mikan's so far ahead. For Pollard to be the 28th best small forward, I think is totally fair. I think Pollard might be the number two. That's, that's what a lot of people said in the era. Totally possible. All right, you want to lock him in at 28? Locking him in at 28. Who is your nomination for 29? I had Glenn Rice. Interesting. Talk to me about why Glenn Rice. I keep on coming back to this in the 1997 season. Because at this point, at this point in the list, often talking about number twos on gun, mm-hmm. on good teams. And really, that's what Pollard was. We just went over that. But there is this three-year stretch, really an entire career of 18 points, four boards, and two assists for Glenn Rice. But this 97 season with the Hornets, they win 54 games. And Glenn Rice is awesome. 27 points a night, two assists, and four boards on efficient scoring. 47% from deep on five and a half attempts per game. He's just one of the best players in the league then, and they do get swept in the first round. But again, at this point in the list, I can't really knock people for that. If you're good enough to get your team to 54 wins, be in that conversation, I think this is a good spot for you. I like it. I think we might have some other people just to say like slightly more, but 
to just kind of reiterate that 97 season fifth in MVP voting uh, all NBA second team he wins the all-star game MVP which we're recording this during all-star break um, used to mean something to get that uh, as far as just kind of in comparison to the rest of the league he was third in points per game that season uh, 13th in true shooting or sorry ninth in true shooting 13th in win shares in the league so like this is he is up there with the greats of the 90s in this one particular season my next guy up that i was going to nominate is a very different case but it is sean marion okay i don't i don't hate that at all i had him at 31 so these are all kind of the same guys just shuffled around i would prefer rice in terms of his ability to be that number one guy on a pretty good team i don't think marion ever really gets to that level but one spot after marion's a great pick I well let's let's do the Marion case here because Marion sure. played from 2000 to 2015 primarily with the Suns and the uh, Heat and Raptors, Mavs, Cavs. That's four-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA second team. Um, you know, really high in rebounding and steals for his size and position. It was like a surprisingly good defensive player uh, on the Phoenix Suns. You know, for a team that didn't play much defense, the Matrix brought some defense. Um, what I really like is that although he is not not the best player on any of these teams, he has five years with 10 or more win shares, uh, final, totaling up a career with 134, 45th all-time in win shares. He is also 26th all-time in steals. Um, so I don't think he has that, that one season, but I do kind of like his five-year peak over uh, a Glenn Rice's five-year peak. Okay. I, I'd accept that. I think something interesting is... When he's getting a lot of these 10 rebound seasons, it's because he's playing power for it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of cheating in a sense for the small forwards list to point and say like, hey, he was doing his other things. Yeah, because he's playing a different position. But I guess to counter he's my own... He's also getting the steals. Yeah, to counter my own made-up argument I just threw out there. Um, I've said before for the shooting guards list when I argued for Warren Jabali because he was also rebounding and shooting guards often don't impact the game in that way for a player like him to be so impactful in so many different ways, where Rice really is just scoring. He's not getting assists. He's not rebounding the mm-hmm. ball. I'll accept that. I think the other thing, when we just look at Marion and Rice, they're both best as the third guy. Um, you know, in Rice Rice actually plays a pretty decent-sized role in the Lakers' ring in 2000. Oh, yeah. Marion Marion gets an opportunity to be the second guy uh, in 06, Western Conference, second round. It's a seven-game series that they play against the Clippers without Amare. Uh, and Marion leads the team in minutes, uh, points, rebounds, steals, and blocks. 42 and a half minutes a night, 25 and a half re- or points, points uh, I didn't write down, rebounds for some reason, but then three stocks. So I just, that's that's kind of why I went Marion. I think you probably could flip these guys around. I wouldn't be too upset. Although there were a few more guys I had before Glenn Rice. Who is another guy of, of yours? Or do you want me to throw out a nomination? Well, I'll, I'll give you the names that I have between uh, Marion and Rice. Because uh, I've got four names. And the first is Willie Wise, Mark okay. Aguirre, Chet Walker, and Peja Stojakovic. Okay. I had Peja 31. So that would be my, our compromise pick there, Peja Stojakovic. Okay. I got a bet for the Kings player. I mean, he's, I have to defend him. A three-time All-Star, just one-time All-NBA, but in that All-NBA 4 season, I believe he places fifth in MVP voting, maybe mm-hmm. the fifth? No, fourth, yes. actually. Fourth. Um, it's it's interesting because Paige's case actually kind of takes away from Chris Webber's case. I, mean, I think if we did the top 100 again, I would painfully push Chris Webber kind of down. The Kings are really good during this 01, 02, 03, 04 stretch 
And Weber's kind of in and out of the lineup, but it doesn't really matter. In that 0-4 season, 55 games, they are the second best offense in the league. And it's coming from Page averaging 24-6-2 on 40% shooting and 43% from deep and 92% from the line. This is almost 50-40-90. Weber plays just 23 games this year, so it's this core of Page, Brad Miller, and Mike Bibby equals almost the best offense in the league. And Page was really capable of getting teams up to that level. Even the year prior to that, Page is averaging 19, 5, and 2, and the Kings win 59 games, and they're the sixth best offense. He's able to be a part of these really great offenses, and although it kind of comes apart in the playoffs, I like that five-year stretch. It's it's a really nice five-year stretch, and I think you probably could reshuffle Page, Glenn Rice, and Marion a number of different ways. I just went, I, I went uh, Marion on top because of probably the best five-year stretch, the most consistent winning. Page has that like really good peak, but then kind of dips off. I mean, he still is is useful in the rest of his career, um, but he's not n- not anywhere near that high of a level. He'll is, like, I mean, he's got the one season where he's fourth place MVP and then mm-hmm. nothing else like it. But a fourth place MVP finishes, I think the highest we're going to see in this, the rest well, of this list. I'm pretty sure, we, unless it's an ABA. We do have, it, it's an ABA. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Willie Wise, uh, who is another name that I had on my list here, uh, three-time All-Star, two-time All-ABA second team, fourth-place MVP finish in 73. But I should say that he has just one vote that year. It's just like a multi-way tie with him getting one vote. Um, but he's a a key cog. He's basically the best player in the 1971 Utah Stars that, win, that wins the championship. Yeah. Is that true? And he's, he's in, really in good the playoffs, up there. In the playoffs, in the regular season, not as much. He's like fifth in minutes but i'm not sure what happens in the playoffs but he comes up to first in minutes 21 points 13 boards five assists he was young and was kind of finding himself um so he gets progressively better as that season goes on so are you comfortable with jim pollard sean marion then pasia and then maybe a willie wise yeah i could i could go for that okay you know willie wise bounced around on the aba but from for a four-year peak he averaged basically 21 points and nine rebounds. Uh, if you go 71 to 74 in the playoffs, it's 23 points, 10 rebounds, uh, and, and basically 40 minutes a night. Plus, one of the favorite, one of my favorite things about him, this guy lived for shutting down Rick Barry. It's <laughs> a great purpose in life to have. That's, yeah, I, I try to find quotes on some older guys, and um, you, know, you got Sports Illustrated writing about him, him saying that he's the best young forward in the league. Another thing the ABA has is six or seven extraordinary players that are virtually unknown to NBA fans. Uh, Utah has that hidden talent in Willie Wise. Bones McKinney, longtime NBA player and coach, uh, said that Willie Wise was a man with a thousand moves who could beat you in all kind of ways. Uh, and he does have this this beautiful 50-point night uh, against Louis Dampier, Dan Issel, and Artis Gilmore while in the ABA. So it's it's 21 for 29 shooting. Not, not the great, or, you know, not the greatest full career. This is kind of narrowing in on that one game, uh, but that that one game against really good players is 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 cool to me. I'll take it. Can I offer a Glenn Rice, Mark Aguirre, thirty-two and thirty-three? So you want to go Glenn Rice over Mark Aguirre? Her? Um, Aguirre. I, I do like Aguirre. I, I'm a fan of Aguirre. Um, you could convince me. You can convince me, um, given Glenn Rice's peak is pretty short, and then Aguirre. Aguirre has the perfect. 
first half where it's him and um Rolando is it Rolando Rolando there's two black Rolando Blackman is that my mixing two first and last names up there's two names that are very similar I know who you're talking about I'm not gonna guess this the the actual pronunciation look it up um Rolando Blackman it's Aguirre and Blackman is a shooting guard his 6-6 shooting guard buddy that are able to take Dallas to the playoffs year after year, even make a Western Conference Finals in 1988. I was just going to say that that team also has Hoops Temple favorite, Sam Perkins. Yeah, the Sam Hakeem Perkins. Stopper. <laughs> the Hakeem Stopper. How, how do you feel about this? Do you prefer Glenn Rice or do you prefer... What I have for the Mark Aguirre case, 82 to 94, primarily Dallas and Detroit, three-time All-Star, uh, has a five-year peak from 83 to 88, averaging 25 points, six rebounds, uh, and keeps the Dallas in the playoffs. He's... He is consistently getting a team to the playoffs, um, uh, although you know they don't really make it out of the four, first round much, and if they do, it's a pretty quick trip. Uh, he is the leader on the 88 team where they go to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, they force Game 7. His Game 6 performance was was pretty nice. His Game 7, not so much. You know, kind of interesting to, to read up on him. I've got one of my almanacs that you know gives every player's strengths and weaknesses. Uh, for the weakness, they're like his mouth. Dude sucks to be around, basically. <laughs> uh, you know, wears teams out. They end up wanting to get rid of him. I think he's just a more consistent, high-level player than Glenn Rice. As great as that one season is, uh, I think if you look at Mark over a five- or ten-year stretch, he's probably got the next, you know, Rice has the best season, and Mark has the next five best, or like seven out of the next ten best. I think that's a great point, that longevity. And I, I actually, I realized I didn't finish what I was saying. McGuire has that first half in Dallas where he's up to 29 points a game, 22, 25 points per game, and then he gets traded to Detroit for statistically a better player than Adrian Danley, but the secret to basketball is that it's not about basketball, and he fits in great and wins two championships on the Bad Boy Pistons. So he has both, okay, this guy can be a number one option on a pretty good team, and let's see how he fits in with a, with a greater team around him. And he does both of those things. Yeah, I really wouldn't mind putting him over Willie Wise and Peja as well, moving him up to 30. I'll accept it. So you want to go Jim Pollard, Sean Marion, Mark Aguirre, Peja, Willie Wise, Glenn Rice? I think that's fair. I can, I can make a Chet Walker case, if you'd like. Uh, where, where did you have Chet? I'm a Chet Walker guy, man. One second. So for anyone unfamiliar with Chet, Chet's career spanned uh, 63 to... 70 primarily with the 76ers and the bulls he's a seven-time all-star he made the playoffs every year of his career he plays with wilt in philly now that philly team that gets a ring in 67 he's on it uh, and he's probably guy three or four definitely behind wilt and greer potentially on the level of B billy cunningham who is higher on this list but that's because billy has a better later career um th then he goes to the bulls and he's not the Bulls aren't good. He gets the Bulls pretty soon after their their expansion, um, but he gets them to a lot of first rounds. And I think that to take an expansion team to the first round consistently is impressive. Uh, if you read up on some of the quotes about him, uh, they'll say that, you know, first thing that comes to mind with Chet is a pump fake. His teammate Bob Love said that. Uh, he can beat you with, or to continue, uh, he's one of the three best face-up players in NBA history at the time. That his teammate is saying this uh, with Elgin Baylor and Oscar Robinson, uh, like face you up, shoot or drive to the baseline. You know, you gotta take in mind it is a teammate saying that he's one of the three best with Baylor and Oscar. But you know, high praise. Interesting. I did have Chet Walker. I, I consider myself like a Chet Walker fan in terms mm -hmm. of what he accomplished. But I did have him quite a ways away um, because it is pretty clear that he's 
he could be the third guy on something really awesome, depending on how good the first two guys are. I, I like that he is always in the playoffs and always making that impact. He even when you say they make, made it to the first round a bunch of times with the Bulls, which is true, but they do win two playoff series. They have a Western Conference Finals against Rick Barry's Warriors in 1975. They go to seven games with that. It's possible that they make a little finals appearance in Enchil Walker's last year, but he's still playing really well in that season, 1975. He averages 19 points six boards and two assists he's still very impactful surprisingly good longevity for someone playing in the 60s and 70s but that that not having that peak kind of hurt him in my eyes but I, i'm okay with that i'm okay spreading the gospel of chet walker well and to spread it further quote from jerry sloan who was his teammate uh they later talked about point forward but chet walker was one of the first guys i met who was a point forward he could handle the ball and make the play or he'd post you up just you know, a little, little added tidbit of NBA history. Hey, we got an early point forward adaptation. Who all did you have ahead of him? Quite a few people, but in really? hindsight, I think I like it. Just I mean, this was a yeah, but now I like that. I think that was a mistake on my end. Right. So if we put him at thirty-four, who do you have for thirty-five? I had George Yardley. I feel pretty good okay. about that. I feel pretty good about that. For those unfamiliar, George Yardley was a six-five small forward, obviously, given this is the small forwards podcast during the fifties or the Fort Wayne Pistons um, that turned into Detroit at some point. But in that first season in Detroit, 1958, he's the first player ever to score 2,000 points in a season. And I think given how deep we are into this list, and he'll probably be a fringe top 200-ish guy, I like, think I like the spot for someone who who gets to that 2,000-point mark. And it's a 72-game season as well, so it's a bit shorter. Um, he averages 27.8 points per game. Wins the scoring title, obviously. 10.7 rebounds and 1.3 assists. But he's also, they're making the playoffs pretty consistently. They are not great, and making the playoffs isn't super hard. But 1956, they do go to the finals. And they lose to the Warriors, Philadelphia Warriors at the time. But Yardley averages 25, 15, and 2. They lose in 5. That's a, that's a finals appearance, plus another finals appearance the year prior where they barely lose in seven games to the Syracuse Nationals. Yardley's the runner-up in the two post-Mike and pre-Bill Russell years. I like it. I don't know why I was so hard on him. I've got him quite a ways down in my rankings. Um, but when I look back at him, maybe it was just, just the brevity of his career. He only plays from 54 to 60. So he's got, what is that, seven seasons? It's less um, than 500 it, games. It's it's very few games, um, but he does lead the league in scoring at one point. He has a third place MVP finish and a fifth place MVP finish. I like it. I like it. I think, you know, the era knocks him back. Um, never yeah, quite... Uh, just never quite the the peak of a Jim Pollard uh, in his own comparative range uh, against the, you know his own competition, but you know an All NBA first team nonetheless. So yeah, I think thirty five is a good spot for him. Do you want to put him up any higher? No, I think I'm good. I think uh, actually, yeah, let's let's put him above uh, Chet Walker. How do you feel about that? That's fair. That's fair. All right. I'd like to hear my next my next guy. Yeah, I had Bobby Dandridge. Okay. All right, I'm we're a- very close. I've got him two okay. guys down. T- tell That's me your Dan Rich take. He is so consistently good, unconsistently good teams. 839 games from 1969 to 82, 18.5 points, seven boards, three and a half assists. He's a four-time All-Star, two-time champ, which we'll get into. Just one time on BA, but the playoffs are so important for him. He in that 1971 machine of a Bucks team, he's averaging 20 points and eight boards and about three assists. Let me double check that actually. In the playoffs for the 1971 Bucks, 
Dandridge averages 19 points, almost 10 boards, three and a half assists. He's the third guy on a championship team. Pretty clear cut. But then um, he's able to help the Bucks to another finals in 74, make some more all-star teams. But when he goes to the, the Bullets, you say like, okay, this is going to be, he kind of takes a back seat to some younger guys. But no, he's still just as good. And it has his best basketball, really, in that 1978 season, helping the Bullets to that championship where he's averaging over 20 points and seven boards and about four assists. I, I, if I remember correctly, he scores the most finals points out of anyone in the 70s. Hmm. I mean, it makes sense. He does get a lot of finals appearances. Yeah, um, 70s, 70s are an interesting era because you don't have that dominant team that keeps making it. So having a, a player that can kind of bounce and go to different teams, he very well could. He's just better... Uh, in the playoffs than he is in the regular season. In 98 regular or 98 playoff games, he's almost 40 minutes a game, 48% shooting, 20 points, 7.7 boards, and 3.7 assists. A little playmaking in there. There's some some series like 1979, his final year making the playoffs. That is final year in general. No, his final year making the playoffs. The Bullets go back to the finals, right? They go back to the finals in 79. Yeah, yes. they lose. Leaves to Seattle. Um, averages a career high in playoff points per game, 23 points per game, with seven and a half boards and five and a half assists. So he's really doing it all, even at the later stages of his career. Yeah, I, I really love that consistency from him. If we look at his scoring average from 71 to 79, so an eight-year stretch, where basically 20 points and seven rebounds. Um, and, and if we look at like the team success that he had when he was with the Bucks, they had three 60-win seasons and two 50-win seasons. And you can say. That's because of Kareem. That's because of Oscar. But it, I mean, it is. Yeah, sure. But in the same way that we do like, hey, Magic and Kareem, we also give love to James Worthy. He's probably like the James Worthy of this. Could he have maybe been better on his own and had a bigger role and done more? Possibly. Uh, two of his four all-star appearances are when the Bucks are winning about 30 games. But, you know, he's, he's a good defensive player, a really great scorer. Um, let me just check my notes because I had him behind Jamal Wilkes and Jack Twyman. I think you've got the case to put him above uh, Jamal Wilkes. Let me just double check my Jack Twyman case. I didn't have Jack Twyman for a long time. You didn't have Jack Twyman for a long time? No, I didn't. I just looking at what he's done. He has some really awesome scoring seasons on like the worst team in the league. Yeah. And then when things, I yeah, but then things start to get good. Um, it, it, he's just such a small part of that. He's basically just on par. It's like, hey, if, if Bobby Dandridge could score thirty a night on a fifteen win team, you're like, yeah, probably. Like, what is that? How does that change what we're what we're talking about? All right. So so let me try to push for for Jack, um, because he's a six time All Star, two time All NBA player, uh, from. 59 to 63 he played from 56 to 66 but at his peak he is third in scoring second in scoring fifth in scoring ninth in scoring uh eighth in scoring really close to the top uh him and wilt are the first two players to average 30 points per game which i think is a nice historical note they do it in the same season and so that's where he's second in scoring uh and sixth in mvp yeah you're right they're not usually that good um in 63 he does help oscar they had 19 games, 1960. They're terrible. Yeah, not that good. It's a shorter season. 19's better than. <laughs> In that 62 season, good. Oscar's averaging 31, 12, and 11, and Twyman's averaging 23, 8, and 3. But Wayne Embry's averaging uh, 20, 13, and 2. And they win 43 games. So it's like, okay, a collection of all this insane talent equals an okay team. I think that's kind yeah. of an indictment on, on what Twyman was capable of. And what about as a Kings 63? fan, that hurts. What, what about, about, what about 63? 
he where uh, him and Oscar, because he's he's clearly the second best player are on this team. Yeah. Uh, they pushed the Celtics to seven. Is he? Why? Yeah, but that's Oscar. It's just it's like okay, Twyman and, and Wayne Embry doing about the same thing, and then Oscar doing like generational shit, once in a lifetime kind of scoring. But I'm just not into pro- it. And I went into it right. being like, this is great because hey, look at his Bass reference page. It's the best picture on this entire website. He's the jolliest fellow in the world. He's just so happy oh. to be there. I don't know. That, that face actually scares me. I think he should have plastic teeth uh, and be talking about uh, wanting to suck people's blood. Like, it kind of just screams vampire to me. Okay. So are we actually can't with... be a vampire because you can't take pictures of vampires? They don't appear in photographs. Yeah, we're good. Danridge, you talked me into it. Danridge is 36. Danridge 36. I have a spicier 37 if you want to hear mine before we uh, start getting some of your nominations. Sure. I have the trust free well. Latrell Sprewell was my next guy after Twyman and Jamal Wilkes. Ah, man, I can't, I can't have anything nice. I can't have any hot takes. <laughs> Looking this, at that. Hey, this is good, right? We're, we're, we're in sync for the most part. You got some anti-Jack Twyman stuff. I'm, I'm going to keep bugging you to put him in there, but, you know. Okay, we'll, come on. We'll get to him. Sprewell uh, is so interesting. Like, kind of an insane person. Inconsistent yeah. play. Kind of strange shooting splits. I choked his coach out one time. But this 1999 season in New York is so weird because statistically it's his worst regular season other than like his last one. Come playoff time in that finals, and they do lose to the Spurs in five games, but he's averaging 26 points per game, uh, 6.6 boards and 2.6 assists. And looking a little bit deeper into that last game, they lose by one in game five of the 99 finals. The final score of this game, do you know the final score of this game? No. You want to take a swing? Just appeared in 1999 basketball. Like just Spurs, Knicks. Spurs, Knicks. So 1999. The, the blood in the garden beat them up Knicks, who had replaced their offensive center, Patrick Ewing, with Marcus Camby, just because you need more defense. Uh, and Ewing, I believe, got hurt, and that's where Ewing theory stems from. Versus David Robinson and Tim Duncan. What is this, like 73 to 78? It's 78-77, so great guess. Oh my gosh, I am good at this game. <laughs> it's a total slugfest. But the, the leading scorer in that game is Latrell Sprewell. He drops 35 points, leads the Knicks in rebounds with 10, grabs two steals, only turns the ball over three times, with two assists as well on 13-27 shooting, so 48%. Obviously, Duncan destroys them on the other end with 31-9-2 and two on 4% shooting. That's Tim Duncan. We're talking about a Latrell Sprewell-Tim Duncan battle. It's a, yeah. close, it's a close finals, weirdly. The Knicks lose by... 12 and 13, they win by 8, they lose by 7, they lose by 1. So it's not like they're just getting destroyed each time. And Spiro's really good on the biggest stage versus one of the best defenses ever. I think it's also really important to look what happens a little bit later in his career where the West was insane. Kevin Garnett could not make it out. And starting in 2000, the Timberwolves win 50 games, lose in the first round. Win 47 games, lose in the first round. 50 games to lose in the first round. 51 games to lose in the first round. Then in 04, they get Sprewell and Sam Cassell. And Kevin McHale talks really highly of getting Sprewell about how they needed this rugged defensive player who could bring some tenacity and intensity to the team. And he does it. And, you know, his his averages with the, the Timberwolves are not as good as his previous Knicks years. This is towards the end of his career, actually. Minnesota is the end of his career. Uh, in 2005, but 
he is a huge impact. You know, he jumps back up to basically 20 points per game in the playoffs. And they push the Lakers. That that series, you know, I remember watching that series live and there's a Kareem Rush game. I forget if it's game five or game six where he just starts hitting threes and it ends Minnesota's chances of winning the series. But it took that random role player really popping off to to stop him. He was he was really good. I I don't hate it. I, I think that's that's probably fair. We can I'm fine with putting him at 37, choking his coach and all. Interesting tidbit about choking out PJ Carlissimo is he does it in December of 97. Uh, and then there's the lockout in the, the start of the 98-99 in season. So he actually doesn't play basketball in or professional basketball in 98. Uh, he's locked out from December of 97 until February of 99. Hmm. Hey, PJ Carlissimo. I choke at the coach. That's my PJ Carlissimo impression. <laughs> I, th- I feel like it should be more like, hey, PJ Carlissimo, I was the coach that got choked. There you go. All right, well, I've given you, I've force-fed you my nominations for a few picks now. Let's hear it. You want Jack Twyman? Well, I mean, if you're comfortable with Jack Twyman, I think I, I think this is a good spot for him. Otherwise, okay. uh, I can give you the next guy on my list, which is Jamal Wilkes. I think Jamal Wilkes is the most forgotten about player of all time. I think people are I mean, so, at this point, so infatuated with the Magic and Kareem. If you were like, hey, like, there's this other guy that is an all-star... But it's like, hey, the Lakers had like another all-star, this like small fort that was 20 points a night. And you'd be like, who? When? How? He's a huge part of those first few rings for the Showtime Lakers and also is on the 75 Warriors to make the finals as well. Is that true? Yes. No, he he is on that team. Uh, and he is probably the second best as player on that team. As a rookie, no. he comes in and wins a championship, makes the All-Star team the next year, then goes to Los Angeles. He, he finishes his career with the Lakers, which is just where NBA players go to die. Or, sorry, with the Clippers. He finishes his career with the Clippers, which is where NBA players go to die. Uh, prior to that, four, cha- or four championships. Yeah, four championships, but he is hurt for one of them. The 85. Yeah, 85 he plays five. in the regular season, doesn't log a minute in the playoffs. Yeah. Still technically gets the ring. Um, he's played 42 games, 18 minutes a game in the, in the regular season. I'd say that's contri- that is contributing. Yeah. He also, he contributes in pretty big ways uh, in 75. They go to the, or they win the championship, but in the Western Conference Finals, he has a 23.8 rebound game. Uh, Rick Barry also has 22 points in the game, but uh, much less efficient. Uh, so, you know, you could say he wins them game seven. He also plays in game seven in 77 with, with the Warriors. Uh, and once again, he has a efficient 24-point game. Uh, Rick Barry has an inefficient 15-point game. So he's kind of getting this team through Game 7s, or at least you know outperforming Rick Barry in these Game 7s. I found a really nice um, interview of him, uh, and he's, he's asked this question. I'm going to read it, both it and its answer. Um, you spent most of your career sort of playing second fiddle to these huge stars, the Scottie Pippen to Michael Jordan role. Well, that, that was uh, Kevin Wilkes to Bill Walton in college. Then, or sorry, uh, it does say. Okay. All right, they miswrote the quote. Uh, Jamal Wilkes to, to Bill Walton in college, then Jamal Wilkes to Kareem. Uh, how do you embrace that challenge of not ever being the guy? It would be nice to be the leading scorer and an all star every year, considered for MVP every year, but it's better to win championships. And for me, that was what helped me not only accept it, but thrive in those systems. And the players always appreciated me. The organization always appreciated me. The fans always appreciated me. And I wanted to be known as a winner first and then worry about individual accolades. Don't misunderstand me. I wanted them. I strived for them. 
but I wanted to win first. I feel like we have to put Jamal Wilkes above Latrell Spiro after that quote. It's it's and a really just, nice quote, right? <laughs> that's such that's such a good quote, and I and Spiro, I don't think Spiro has a single interview where he said anything like that ever. And I think that's a big part of basketball. Yeah, I mean that's I that's the secret of basketball right there. So Dan Ridge at 36, Jamal Wilkes at 37, Latrell Sprewell at 39. Uh, and then would you just be comfortable if we locked in Jack Twyman here as an elite, really great player on really bad teams? Sure thing. So Sprewell's at 38, Twyman at 39. Yes. Okay. Man, this is going so much faster than shooting guards. It's it's almost like when we do 27 guys in the first round, <laughs> we don't have to do quite as many in the second round. Yeah, really. I had I had a nice nomination. I right, let me hear your next guy. I'm just curious because it gets interesting after this. My next guy is Kiki Vandeweghe. Yeah, I he he didn't make. He was 51 for me. I just kept pushing okay. him down. Okay. He's the worst defensive player ever. He is real bad on defense. I just don't think you could ever you could ever win anything with him on your team. And he's such a good scorer. And I was watching Kiki Vandeweghe highlights. Dude is so smooth. Austin, that first step is so quick. I think he has. Do you, do you know off the top of your head how many defensive winchers Kiki Vanderway has? Negative ten. <laughs> I, I wish it was that low, but you do kind of accumulate them on accident. Um, he has eight point eight over eight hundred and ten games, twenty four thousand minutes. It's just basically some rebounds. I just I don't yeah. see I don't see the path towards. I'm okay with him later and maybe outside the top fifty is unfair for someone who is so talented. But let's let's make the I'm gonna make the case for him now and then when yeah, we decide we're, we're at a good spot for him. Um, so the Kiki Vandeweghe case is an elite scorer. He played from 81 to 93, mainly with Denver, Portland, and New York. Massive defensive liability. Sure. Uh, he peaks out as a scorer in 84 with 29.4 points per game. From 82 to 88, he is at 25 points, four rebounds. When he gets traded in 84, he is traded for Fat Lever, Kat Nalvin, and Wayne Cooper, a first round pick and a second round pick, which is just this immense haul. And I know looking at guys as through trade value lenses doesn't always work. Rudy Gobert just got an insane trade hit over the offseason. But I think it's important to to kind of look at how much they got for him. They got three starters on a team that made the Western Conference Finals the next year. So like as soon as, as soon as you get rid of them, you do make conference finals. But also you got three starters and a first round pick. The quote I have for him is an arrogant self quote. <laughs> Those are the Where was your literal Sprewell arrogant self quote? <laughs> Uh, my Latrell Sprewell arrogant self quote is turning down his contract extension, which was a pretty good one, saying, I need, I, I can't feed my family on this, or I need more to feed my family. I think it was like $7 million a year, which is just insulting. But Kiki's is, I don't think anyone in this league can stop a score one-on-one, -on -one, and I don't think one defender can stop me from scoring. Yeah, this is so good. If you, I looked up the Charles Spruill quotes, and it's just like Charles Spruill quotes on top of like motivational, like nature images. It's like a beachfront, and it goes, "I have a family to feed." The Charles Spruill. <laughs> All right, so, so you're gonna kick back Kiki Vandeweghe for me. That's that's fine. We can, we can talk more about him in a bit. Who is your next guy up? I have a question for you. Do you know by adjusted offensive rating the best offense of all time is? Is it Kiki Vandeweghe? Are you going to help me make the case? Because he did add, I'm not, I'm in not. true shooting added, we're looking at <laughs> 1,500 points added. Super efficient. Any idea? Oh, God. Is it currently so Denver? It's in the last, in the adjusted, so compared to the era, compared to the teams around them, it's in the last 20 years. Man. This is a ridiculous question you're probably not going to get, but I'm just, just, just I, to throw it out there. 
It's it's within the last twenty. Mm, specifically God, was, the last twenty. Kings in 05? It's the 2004 Mavericks. Okay. Do you know who the second leading scorer on that team was? Uh, Michael Finley? Michael Finley. Okay. That's my guy. That's your next guy up. That's my next guy. From 1998-2005, Dallas is relying on him for 40 minutes a game in the regular season, and he's delivering with 20 points, 4 assists, 5 boards, 1.2 steals on 44, 37, 81 splits. He's just out there, and these are really good teams, too are making these runs uh, to the to the conference finals and, and winning playoff series and he's he's really a huge part of that in 2003 they go to the western conference finals is that true yeah against the spurs um and finley averages 18 points three assists and six boards in 41 minutes of play you have this this uh, this insanely athletic scoring guard and he's out there for 1100 career games giving you buckets man being a part of great offenses yeah it's got a really long career he does Kind of transform into offensive stopper. Uh, found a great quote about Michael Finley. This is, this is just going to be me reading quotes all day, basically. Uh, but Dennis Scott uh, says, you know, a, a lot of guys tried to emulate Jordan. Some of them went overboard. Finley took just the best pieces from Jordan, like being a professional, working hard, and absolutely hating to lose. Which, you know, Finley was in that next Jordan generation. Uh, another fun Finley fact is that he lost to Michael Jordan in a game of horse at 18. It was some sort of like publicized event of jordan playing horse against a high school student that student was finley um i have him i have him back a little ways because although he's he, he's good i just i don't i don't see the the peak i i see him really as that consistent third guy which is we kind of talked about with the J- jamal wilkes but jamal wilkes won four rings and finley didn't um how would you feel about like a john drew or a chris middleton John Drew is interesting. He was the first player ever to be banned in the NBA with Stern's anti-substance abuse policies. I, 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 he ended up not making a top 50 just because those Atlanta teams weren't that good. Um, they're, they're making the playoffs, but it's like him and a few other guys are about as good as him, equal 45 wins. And maybe I just don't love that that build. But what's your John Drew case? Because he was he was quite a ways away. Chris Middleton, I still had a ways away. But I, so, I do like that twenty uh, that twenty twenty one run from Chris Middleton. He's, he's insanely good. So the case for John Drew um, is consistency. We got ten seasons averaging twenty and seven. They also weren't um, weren't winning. But if you look back, they lose to the Lakers a suspicious number of times. Um, and John Drew long held that the league was rigging games in favor of the Lakers. Um, and I, I tried to go through the box scores. I didn't get to watch a lot of these games, but you can kind of see it. There are games where, you know, hey, the Lakers need to win. And then that's the game that the Lakers get a lot of fouls. You look at like the average number of free throws or whatnot over the course of the series. And it's it's pretty even. Uh, but there will be specific games where like, hey, it's 2-1 Hawks, Lakers, uh, then boom, we, we need to get the Lakers this win. And now now all the Hawks are suddenly in foul trouble. And Where are you seeing uh, the Lakers? Let's see them playing the Lakers. Talking about someone else? Mixing up your guys? Am I? A lot of guys to keep. Uh, it's Atlanta, so they shouldn't actually play the Lakers. wonder who, uh, who this mystery player is. Give me just a second, because I'm like 90% sure that he was saying the Lakers. When do they actually make the playoffs? The Bullets, the Rockets, the Bullets. Yeah, doesn't exist. Where did I get this from? I forgive you. All right, all right, we'll we'll cut this. Um, here's just all right. So then my John Drew case is really just this twenty and seven for ten years, uh, high level consistency. Also was traded for Dominique Wilkins. 
Yeah. Well, the rights to Dom- the rights to Dominic Wilkins. It wasn't like here's your superstar, but she's yeah. in a, a hilarious Utah misstep where they could have had Carl Malone and Dominic Wilkins and John Stockton, and who knows what happens then. I was going down the rabbit hole. Have you been following my um, first overall pick series? Like I, you, you see, I'm doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Michael, that, that Michael Thompson pick, the Blazers, 1978. I don't really think about that very much, but they won the title in 77. They were like the best team in the league in 78, and they trade up the first overall pick in the third spot. So I was like, well, wait a second. How do they have the third? How did they have that third spot? Why do they have the third pick if they won 58 games? It's because they traded Moses Malone away. They had drafted him in the dispersal draft and mm. traded him away. And that's how they, without even playing a game, and that's how they got that pick. And so it's like, Michael Thompson was pretty good. Larry, the Celtics kind of cheated by getting Larry Bird. Um, the Blazers had the, they were like the best team in the league. Then they had the number one overall pick and the seventh pick. They pass on Bird twice, essentially. Um, I don't even, I don't know if they knew he was on the board. I don't know the history behind that necessarily, but it's really interesting. They could have just catapulted into this dynasty um, and just had replaced Bill Walton's production with like other guys, but it's just not a good draft. Just, there's really no one available. It's, it's always interesting when things like that happen. Uh, I was prepping for our power forwards list and oh gosh, uh, Otis Thorpe, Otis Thorpe getting traded from the Pistons <laughs> to Memphis is the eventual pick that becomes Darko Milicic. Yeah, super weird. And I all kind of started, I was following what the Bulls did with Elton Brand. I was trying to see because the, the Bulls turned Elton Brand into like a series of six moves that ended up with literally nothing. Just slowly traded down. And this happens before, you know, when you trade guys, you often don't get as much value back. Like the Kings got Purvis Ellison and they flip him for nothing. That's just a one to, a one to zero thing. But Bulls go from like Rand to Tyson Chandler to J.R. Smith and P.J. Brown into Howard Isley in two seconds. And those two seconds don't turn to anything. And that's just it. It's just over. <laughs> they end up like they just get and then they get Derrick Rose like that season after because they ended up losing value so consistently. But so, so you're saying losing value works out eventually in the end. Sometimes. Sometimes. Um yeah. All right. Why not let's, have like Bill Walden instead of Bill Walden, you could have Moses Malone. You could have that guy instead. Or why not instead of Otis Thorpe, you could have Darko Milicic. Why not? All right. Enough uh derailed us. So so you want Michael Finley here. I'm just I'm flexible. It's an interesting spot. I, my next guys were Metal World Peace, Dale Ellis, and Glenn Robinson. All right. So my next guys, you don't like Kiki Vandeway. You don't like John Drew. Uh, you don't like Chris Middleton. I'm, I'm yeah. interested maybe in like a spot or two, but. All right. Um, well, then I guess uh, I also have Billy Knight, Detlef Shrimp uh, before I get to Dale Ellis and Michael Finley. Interesting. I had Billy Knight 46 and Shrimp 49. Let me look at Billy Knight real quick. It's just a, a different values thing here. Um, you know, Billy Knight, 57, or sorry, not 57, 75 to 85, uh, playing mostly with Indiana, but does get an all-star season in Buffalo. Uh, three awesome all-star seasons, including last year in the ABA, where he's 28 points per game. Not a good Pacers team. 75, like divisional finals, seven-game series against the Nuggets, where he's averaging 25-9-2. Uh, is on a bunch of bad Indiana teams. I think that you might just be valuing winning more at this point. Um, whereas he, I'm he is of, an ABA to NBA success story. He, he maintains is. that play, and that's important to me. Also, very important to denote, there are two Billy Knights that were top college players. Um, one of them went to Pittsburgh. Uh, that is this one that we we're discussing, the one that played in the NBA. Uh, the other one went to UCLA and is a child sex predator. So very important 
not to mix up your Billy Knights. <laughs> that reminds me of um, the two Eddie Johnsons. Yeah. Or one of them is is just like a regular guy who's a pretty good NBA player, and the other one was a better NBA player, also a child rapist. You have to kind of make sure your Eddie Johnsons are, are separate. You got to know which one is and which one isn't um, a, a child rapist. You got you to keep that clear. Would you like to just say fuck it and Chris Middleton's 2021 run is better than anyone, anything anyone else has done so far and just come in? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think with Giannis going down, Middleton finishing out that series, I know it's against Atlanta, who is not the most formidable of opponents, but he still closes out a Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, and we can see Middleton's impact right now on the Bucks, where he was missing and they were, what, bottom 25, you know, 25 to 30 in offense instead of rating this season. Uh, and now he comes back and they're ramping up and running towards the playoffs full steam. So, yeah, I, I think 40, 40 is a great spot for him. I'd like to nominate Meta World Peace. Okay. I'm leapfrogging Michael Finley. He's getting cast to the side. World Peace doesn't have the awesome scoring seasons that you kind of look for. You're like, okay, like, could he carry an offense? But this comes in an era where you could just be like 18 points, 20 points a night. And if you were so awesome defensively, you could be the best player on a really good team. And he was. In 2004, he is best player on a 60-win-1 team. 61-win team. I mixed up my... Stuff there. Um, Jermaine O'Neal has a, has a nice season, but he leads that team in minutes. He's second in scoring. He's the best defensive player. He really anchors that team, and it's a great team all around. But that that team goes to the conference finals. They win sixty one games. You can really see his impact because he gets hurt the year after that. They just win forty four games. Oh uh, five and oh five, and that the team has suffered some injuries overall. With that, Jackson that is... and Jermaine O'Neal and um, Aaron going down, but what? Oh, he doesn't no, get not hurt. injuries. Didn't get hurt. That's right. <laughs> Um, he had some questionable on-court decisions that led to uh, a suspension. Sometimes when I just see, I see like, oh, he played seven games. You, you just assume hurt. injuries. Yeah. I don't automatically assume that he tried to attack a fan in the stands. Um, I think I in general, that's <laughs> that's probably the right call. Um, he, also, he also uh, took off the early part of that season to promote his rap album. Yes, man. That's just. Yeah. Okay. How do you feel about that after my strong case that if you, once you beat the shit out of a fan in the stands, uh, your team plays worse? Um, I think that's probably a very clear cut case that your team plays worse after you beat hit someone. I, I did have Finley over for Metal World Peace. Um, I actually had him at 50. I, I And I initially, I thought him and Spreewell were going to be a lot closer because I remember them being very similar players, but there, there is a big difference. He does he not failed. hit that peak. He was supposed to hit that peak. Metal World Peace was. And then the brawl kind of derails it. I I don't love it. I, I'd rather go Finley. I, I think we should... That's my secret way of getting you to take my original pick is I bring up a second worst pick and you're like, ah, the first one was better. All right. Can, can I at least try talking to Dale Ellis just before we lock in Finley? Yeah, sure. I had him 43rd. Right now, my list goes Michael Finley, Metal Peace, and then Dale Ellis. So I'd be okay with a little bit of a little bit of shuffling. I I had him 46th, but you're you know you're ruling out my guys. I have above him, I'm already. And so the, the Dale Ellis case, this is really just a revolutionary player. You know, one of the first high volume three point shooters, over 40 percent on his career. Um, leads the Sonics and win shares three times and gets them to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, he's got a f- couple of first-round series where he's averaging close to 30 points per game. He does 
tail off, or I guess, sorry, that, that Western Conference Finals run, the first two rounds, he's 29.5, then 28.5. Then Western Conference Finals, he does really fall off. Uh, 16.5 points per game, doesn't make a single three, shooting 38%. But I, I think it's a peak that we don't see Finley get. I, I don't think we ever see him that high. And I think just as far as impact to the game, Dale Ellis and his three-point shooting is worth remembering more than Finley's is. So He's a great player just on top of that. That's kind of my case. Yeah. Except these high-volume scoring seasons. He's played in the 46th most games ever. Dang. 1,209. A lot of I games. I 15 points, 50 points a game for 1984 to 2000. We're really getting into a lot of guys with some great longevity. I'm going to go Dale Ellis and then Lee. Sure. All right. But then interested to hear why you got Detlef Shrimp so much further back. Why do you have, what's your case against Detlef Shrimp? It's the lack of the peak. It is essentially what if Dale Ellis never gets up to those high scoring seasons. Shrimp never breaks through the 20 point per game mark. He's on some really good teams. He's playing a big part in he makes the playoffs for i think every single team he plays for yeah so he he's definitely a valuable asset in his scoring and his shooting his floor spacing ability his his rebounding as a a taller 610 small forward power forward some years that's that's kind of the case it's like what if what if Dallas didn't score 29 points a game what if though he ends the Houston Rocket three-peat chances looking at the totally 96 fair. 96 second round against two-time defending champs Rockets get swept. Detlef, true shooting percentage of 63, 20 points per game, seven rebounds, and almost four assists. Really big game three, 28 points, five steals, or sorry, five rebounds, five assists, and three steals. You know, just into it. I would, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would take this. He is, he's, uh, we talked about Mark Aguirre earlier. He's, come, he's coming off the bench for those, um, those Dallas teams. The team that makes the conference finals, he's coming off the bench for that team. And uh, he also lasts long enough to play the uh, for the Blazers, make the conference finals in 2000. Coming off the bench for those guys, too. And he's really also on the Seattle longevity. team that makes the finals. And he's also on like, the Reggie Miller Pacers. He's just consistently on. If there's like a kind of good team, somewhere between, what is it, 84 to... Uh, 86 to 2001. If there is a kind of good team during 1986, 2001, Delo Shrimp's on it. Yeah, which I think is, I think it's really good. He's, you know, portable. You do the, um, you know, random test of like, hey, five random guy or four random guys plus this guy. Is he, is a good team? Well, maybe not, but you could put him in a vacuum and put him on any team in the league and he has a role and he's, he's probably pretty good at that role. I'm still just, I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure that I do like him more than Kiki Vandaway though. Cause I feel like he does a lot of the, they do the same things. They're both just scorers. And if you put Shrimp with better players, Shrimp has thirty-three defensive win shares, and whether win shares are nothing, and but there's just there's something to note. Fair. How do you feel about the ultimate winning role player in Andre Iguodala? I think this is a fair spot for someone like him. Someone that I and I understand we both have the same. He wasn't very impactful. He's not playing very much. The winning didn't matter. And I, I think at some point, and I think he definitely should be in this top fifty. And I had him at forty-nine. Just wanted to kind of float out kind of toss up this this not this nomination because tiktok's gonna tear my fucking head off we're gonna finish this podcast we're gonna make a video of it post the video <laughs> just tell people to go watch this podcast and then they're gonna kill me i think there's a drop off i've got I, i've got out to 50 um and then my 51 52 53 and 54 are richard jefferson tiktok favorite jerome kersey pr- forgotten blazer who fulfills a lot of these same roles of being like that third or fourth guy on a championship team, high energy, Sean Elliott, and Andre Iguodala. 
Jesus Christ, man, we can't have him not in the top 50. I, I think there's a drop-off. I don't think Iguodala or Jefferson or Kersey Cur- or Elliott are ever, ever could be a, a one or a two. At best, they could be a three. Um, but w- when they're winning it, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're a f- three or a four. And it's because they're around other really great players. And maybe that's the exact same thing that we just said about that left shrimp. Maybe that's all. Andre Godala has a finals MVP. He has a finals MVP. You can't can't say he didn't. Let's put, Cedric, let's put Cedric Maxwell up here then. Are we going to leave Cedric it, Maxwell off too? We are going to leave Maxwell off because like as Maxwell is only like the third guy who comes through as the finals MVP. Where Aikidala has like, does have a really good career and he's playing plays for forever. He's played more games than, um, than Dale Ellis. He's 42nd. So you have the longevity plus good Philadelphia player. And then the, the the coming I mean, he's not playing like 10 minutes a game in the playoffs for golden state i guess since 2014 he jumps around teams he's playing 27 minutes a game like he is out there he's not that far down the bench he's the sixth guy let's hold yeah, on to that but- he has he, he is i think i will argue for the 13 year olds that are gonna <laughs> they're like the, the young golden state fan base i will be your spokesperson I'm not gonna let nate and his ridiculous narratives take andre goodall out of the top 50. he's not there it's not there disagree okay let's just get through some names and if we have to sneak them into 50 and i'll bribe you um we'll see all right all right so I, i'm okay with with drew dropping i'm okay with so what are we at right now we're at 43 so just to recap because uh, we did kind of blaze through these names we're, we're moving with good pace uh starting at 28 we have jim pollard sean marion mark aguire Peja stoyakovich willie wise glenn rice george yardley chet walker Bob Danridge, Jamal Wilkes, Latrell Sprewell, Jack Twyman, Chris Middleton, Dale Ellis, Michael Finley, Detlef Shrimp. And Jakey Doll. <laughs> no. All right. So who's your next guy? Um, is this uh, trying to think of the, the, the guys you've you've. Um, so, so the next couple of guys, uh, Kiki Vandway, John Drew, Billy Knight, Joe Caldwell, and then Glenn Robinson are kind of my next five. I think I, I just don't think there's a way I'm taking Kiki over Andre Godal. I just don't think any team in the history of the universe is going to win anything with Kiki Vandway on it. And I couldn't find an example where that where that's not true. The thing is, is teams only win with Andre Godala because they have transcendent other players. But you still you, put- you still you can't you didn't uh, he still was a part of that and and it was because yeah. he filled that role up so well because you put Kiki Vanderweide in that spot like it's not successful because he's not going to play any defense and not winning anything and he has a Finals MVP I mean it, yes is it like the second worst Finals MVP of course but he still was yeah. ma- insanely impactful on a championship team he's not just always the fourth guy comes through all right okay. well then okay. let's. Let's, let's <laughs> table Andre Iguodala. Okay. Um, definitely putting him at a world piece above Andre Iguodala. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I'll accept, That's, I'll accept that. Um, I would also like to put Richard Lewis above Andre Iguodala. Okay. Yeah, I had that. Guys, I hear, this is the list, my list as it goes. I had Metal World Peace, Glenn Robinson, Richard Lewis, Billy Knight, Joe Caldwell, Iguodala, and then Luol Dang. Oh, my God. <laughs> he's, uh, he's... Okay, okay. Luol Dang's a really good defense. I have Luol Dang at... Uh, 67 Jesus on the list here. Christ. Yeah. We're going to talk about Crash Wallace before we talk about the Luol Dang. We're definitely putting... You can't come at me with if we have to have Andre Guadalla because of his finals MVP 
and then not put Cedric Maxwell above Luol Deng. I don't know, man. All right. All right. I, I like the three-person group of Glenn Robinson, Meta World Peace, Richard Lewis. Okay. I, I have them in that order, Glenn, Meta, Richard. What order did you have them in? You went Meta first? I had Meta, and Robinson, and then Richard. All right. Let's let's put Meta first, then then we can do the other two. But let's kind of talk through these guys is here just because not everyone might be as familiar. We did a bit on Meta. Incredible defensive player, rugged. Not a super efficient score. Um, really, he got his calling card on defense. Would have been in MVP conversation if he didn't punch a fan in the stands and completely derail his career. Still He's works his hurt. way back up. Got yeah, hurt. he hurt his hand on his someone hand else's on face. Some, <laughs> on some guy's face, there you go. <laughs> um, but you know he third cog on uh, Houston still playing at an all-star or level with the Rockets then goes to the Lakers where he is arguably the third best player or, um, you know big contributor I do remember the Kobe airball game I forget what year it was it was 08 or 09 but Meta puts it back in and to win the game um, r- really nice piece he's there also mental health huge advocate for his mental health both after everything he's been through he did um, when asked if the Lakers were an intimidating matchup for him, uh, in what was it 2008 when he was with the Rockets, he responded with, "I once saw a guy get in a disagreement on a basketball court, and guy walked away, snapped a leg off of a picnic table, stabbed a guy hey, with it, and he died and bled out there. So no, I'm not intimidated by the Lakers. <laughs> That's a meta world piece for you. I love the quotes. We need like a quote section where you compile all the quotes. Um." Something to consider is, not to consider, but something fun is the very last thing Mitch Kupchak ever did as the Lakers GM is sign Metal World Peace. Bring him back. Good. And they were it's like, good uh, final move. As soon as, as, as soon as they saw that, Jenny Buss is like, Jesus Christ, we have gone too far. <laughs> we brought Metal World Peace back from the depths of China. All right. So, so if we put him in at 44, then Glenn Robinson at 45, uh, what is your talk about Glenn Robinson? What? What tidbits about his career do you have? Big dog, man. Big dog. He's one of my favorite pieces of a player having to retire early, but retiring at just the right time. He doesn't play in enough games to bring his points per game down below 20. So he's a perfect 20.7 points per game. Six boards, 2.7 assists, 688 games from 1995 to 2005, mostly for Milwaukee. Eight seasons, Milwaukee makes two all-star teams and ends up winning a title in his last season for Spurs, although he's not really playing very much, but I will still give him that rank because he does have it. He is part of the Sam Cassell, Ray Allen Bucks of the late 90s, early 2000s that are able to make that conference finals, and he is a big part of that. In the 01 playoffs, he's 38 minutes a game, 19 points, 6 boards, 3 assists, 43% shooting. He is uh, very good. Yeah, second second best player on the conference finals run. It's a bad Eastern Conference. It's a lopsided Eastern Conference. They almost lose in the first round, but actually um, just yeah weird things happen in the playoffs but big big performances is from him um you know in the second round they're actually down three two uh, and then he has back-to-back 29 point games to get them over charlotte so i i really like it glenn i think doesn't have the longevity a lot of the guys in this range and that hurts him in the matrix but he, he has that really nice peak so if we lock him at 45 then richard lewis at 46 uh richard really interestingly comes into the league as as a shooting guard then gets moved to like power forward but then kind of settles in as that three great stretch player um you know was was the number two man in seattle next to ray allen goes to orlando and 
kind of revolutionizes basketball. Him, Hedu, uh, and Dwight. I think you probably put him as the second best player on that 09 team that makes the the finals. Um, 610, by the way, just for some context of this shooting guard, small forward, power forward thing he keeps doing, because it really is interesting. From 2005 to 2010, he's taking 6.23s a game at 40%. He's an efficient scorer also. We're looking at true shooting out of 900 points, looking at 90 career win shares. Um, I actually might even be tempted to put him over Glenn Robinson and on second look here, because second best player on a finals is better than the second best on Eastern Conference finals. Um, But just just a really, he was, Kevin Durant was kind of going to follow the Rashard Lewis mold and then just way exceeded it. But like that was kind of the, could he be Rashard Lewis type when he got drafted? And I was like, oh, yeah, no, he's just so much better than that. But this just Gumby, lanky shooter. Um, he's got a seven-year stretch averaging 19 points, six rebounds. Uh, in 2009, the Magic are plus 10 and a half possessions with him on and negative one possession with him off. So we're looking at plus minus of 11. Uh, I, that's just, that's really good. I'm, yeah, I'm actually, why do we have Detlef Shrimp above this guy? Why do we have <laughs> do you want to go over Shard Lewis? 33 everyone down yeah i think i actually would like richard lewis uh overall or yeah can we go richard lewis then metal world peace then dead left shrimp thoughts okay so we're left with four slots left and two names we refuse to give up on produce some insane <laughs> I, I will offer you trade package of kiki variant away at 49 and we can talk about 47 48 in exchange for andre Godal at 50 just i'm gonna put it on the table think about it look at it and, and then we'll talk about 47, 48, and then we'll get there. Uh, well, I'll consider it while we discuss 47, 48. So I stand. Go ahead. Oh, this is where I had Billy Knight and Joe Caldwell. I talked about Billy Knight earlier. Okay. Are you interested? I gave the Billy Knight case earlier. Um, what, what was your Billy Knight case? Same as your case, man. Yeah, he gets up there in scoring and is able to translate from the ABA to the NBA, which I'm always a fan of. I think that's really important. All right. Put him in at 47. Another fun Billy Knight tidbit uh, is that... In the locker room, following games, the guys used to always drink beer. Everyone except for Billy Knight. You want to guess what Billy Knight's drink of choice was? I don't know. The wine I guy? see. Uh, okay. The, the Pacers just called him the kid, or, you know, he was the young kid on the team. I see, man. Goes hard. It does. All right. Any love for jumping Joe Caldwell? Yeah. 6'5", freak athlete, 60s player, 60s and 70s, and one of the few players that goes from a pretty good NBA career, making two all-star teams. He was an all-star in 1970 for the Hawks. And then he goes to the ABA. It kind of prolongs his career. And eventually, I remember correctly, he gets suspended. I'm just going to guess this might be someone else because he convinces some other, but he convinces a teammate to leave ABA, and that team suspends him for doing so, basically. He also, he has all of the respect of all of the guys is like of that era. Um, Dave Bing, when Joe guarded me, he gave me fits, toughest defender I ever faced, six foot five and could jump out of the gym. All Adels, kid, one of the all time greatest bodies in pro basketball, a lethal combination of power and speed. And this is my favorite one. I would have loved to have been a more exciting player, to have been someone like Joe Caldwell. Can you guess which NBA legend said that of Joe Caldwell? I have no idea who is it. Jerry West. Yes. Yeah. I found that that bit, by the way, during that 75 season. Carolina became the St. Louis Spirits, and then they blamed Caldwell for influencing team star Marvin Barnes to leave the team. Denied doing so, but they suspended him anyways. Also is the grandfather of Marvin Bagley. I, w- I was just about to get to that, where, you know, he convinces yeah. Marvin Barnes to leave 
and then his grandson is named Marvin Bagley. So I think there's a pretty pretty close tie there. I'm surprised that you're willing to put in the grandfather of <laughs> uh, of Marvin Bagley. I'll accept it. I also no, another fun tidbit about Joe Caldwell. It was him, not John Drew, that blamed him the uh, uh. the league. And he originally signed with the Pistons for fourteen thousand because basketball was his true love. He was also offered a contract of seventeen thousand to play football for the L.A. Rams. Interesting. What position? He was six five. I don't know, but I mean, they talk about his combination of power and speed. So this is sixties NFL. What couldn't he have played? It's true. All right, so we're doing Billy Knight then Caldwell. Billy Knight then Caldwell. And then we're left with just the ultimate game of chess, staring match to last the ages. Listen, you know Kiki Vandaway is better. Kiki Vandaway should be 49. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. All right, so Kiki Vandaway is 49. Great, we locked it in. <laughs> okay, no, but there, there's an exchange <laughs> going on here. This is a, we're compromising. This is a, a, a list we build together. Sometimes you just got to make sacrifices. I don't think Kiki Vandaway could play an ounce of winning basketball in his life. I understand the talent. Yes. I just, I need <sighs> you to make it. I need you to do this for me. Okay, I'm not agreeing. Okay. <laughs> um... I realized that might might have been uh, misled when I said okay, but I think I think being able to get your team to the playoffs is more important than being the third guy, fourth guy on a a championship team. Um, it, it, especially in the case of Iguodala, because there's there's different levels of being three, four, um, and, and Iggy is really he is four. He gets the title or he gets the Finals MVP, but it's Curry, Clay, Draymond, Iggy throughout the course of that season. And I don't think he would even try to fight you on that. Yeah, um, I understand that. Um, it's not like he works around on bad teams before that. I mean, he helps Denver and is arguably the best player on that 55, the seven-win team. Prior in Philadelphia, like they're making the playoffs consistently, and he is a big part of that. Yeah, he, I mean, he's there for one season in Denver. I mean, he's there for one I, season, but they I think Iguodala is your perfect stats bad team guy to like best the, the, the huge part like the bench piece of best dynasty we've seen since best run of titles we've seen since the 2000s lakers and we had glenn rice way up there and we mentioned stuff and glenn rice has a has a three-year peak of being pretty good he's 33rd and like can i can i offer you something that will make the tiktok crowd even happier i'm interested right now if, if we're we're gonna say we're not gonna accept john drew we want someone better than john drew my 51st guy is Richard Jefferson. I don't, I, I don't, I look through Jefferson, I don't see how he's any better than Vidal. So Jefferson has his, uh, has that stretch in, in New Jersey where he's basically averaging 19.7 points over a six year span. Really, and it's a really slow era for the NBA. He is a pretty big piece of their second finals team. First finals team, he's not as big, but. Uh, that that second year big piece um, gets the later ring in 2016 yeah. with with Cleveland. Just I'm looking at a lot of playoff hoofs, uh, of him playing a, a good number of minutes of games. Um, I'm actually kind of curious what their total playoff minutes are versus each other right here. All right, Iguodala blows him out of the water in playoff minutes uh, with yeah, 5,200. <laughs> so it, it, he's 5,200 playoff minutes. Richard Jefferson. 3,800. Uh, only 100 points actually separates them. 2014 to 2019 for Golden State. During that run, I mean, Iggy Doll is averaging, he's a 30-minute a, a, a night guy. It's it's not like he is He's playing 10 minutes and we're just, we're clapping our hands because he used to be good. He is a legitimate part of the best team. 
gotta accept it. How you say there's no way around this. We've reached like the like the, the pivotal fork in the road in our friendship. And oh, whether I <laughs> whether you accept this or not. The, the twenty yeah, he gets up to thirty minutes in the playoffs. He's twenty six minutes in the regular season. He's eight points per game. He, it's, it's that's, that's what we're basing this on? the facilitating in the defense and then he wins a finals mvp it's important he was really good in the finals it's not like he was just a part of it there is a point he comes through i know it sucks but they don't they don't win that 2015 title without him and that's not just saying oh if you took this out i don't know who you replaced that with he does limit lebron to 30 it's all there he limits lebron to 36 points 13 rebounds and nine assists (laughs) but LeBron is not very efficient in that series. And and Iguodala has some insanely clutch stops at the end of those games to win finals games. Really? You really got to make me do this? We're going to make you do this. I'm going to I'm 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 forcing you to do this. Yeah, all in all, I came to this list with, you know, 23 people. 22 of them are getting on and you're taking the guy that was 3 off my list uh, cuz he's behind Jefferson. Well, oh, come uh, on. Jefferson. He's that far away and you're fighting this hard? Uh, yeah, just, I, feel like it's, I feel like it's a drop off. We've gone from like all stars, like multi time all stars. He's a one time all star. That yeah, have I, mean, just, I, I thought yeah, I thought he was like seventy sixth for you or something. No, if he's 53rd, no, no, no. Then, <laughs> Yeah, state. all right, all right, all right. Fifty, 50 it is. We'll put him over Richard Jefferson. But I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just tell TikTok that you you wanted Iguodala over Richard Jefferson. Would you like to hear the rest? The next five guys I had were John Elliott, Jalen Rose I threw in, John Drew, Jack Merritt, and Jerome Kersey. I had John Drew, Richard Jefferson, Jerome Kersey, John Elliott, and then Kelly Tripuka, then Cedric Maxwell. Tripuka. 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 Like tripod. Um, now he's uh, Rose is listed primarily as a small four, but such an interesting player because he kind of comes in as like a point guard. He's um, is it playing some point guard like later down the line, it gets up to five, six assists per game. Um, is the leading scorer on Pacers team that makes the finals. Okay with him mm. coming up. No, Jalen Rose was just so far down in the matrix. I didn't, I didn't look at him. That's why. Well, he just has a most improved and all rookie and a win share and like forty-seven win shares. I'm mad that he doesn't get the one All Star appearance. Not that it would actually change his matrix ranking that much. Yeah. Feels like either that Indiana year or that Chicago year should have gotten it. I feel great. This is a good list. Yeah. You want to recap it? Sure thing. We ended at twenty-seven in the previous episode. Picked up at twenty-eight. Jim Pollard. On Marion, 30s, Mark Aguirre, Paige Stojakovic, Willie Wise, Glenn Rice, George Yardley, Walker, Bobby Dandridge, Maul Wilkes, Charles Sprewell, Jack Twyman, 40s, Chris Middleton, Ellis, Michael Finley, Richard Lewis, Metal World Peace, Detlef Shrimp, Glenn Robinson, Lee Knight, Joe Caldwell, Kiki Vanderway, and 50 was Andre Iguodala. That would have been Richard Jefferson. Be next time. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, Aaron, where can people find you? Switchers on TikTok. I will post a video of that list today. Thank you.